0: ¡Gracias! What up, everybody? Buongiorno. Buenos dias. Ni hao. Konnichiwa, motherfuckers. I hope you're all doing very, very well on this fine day, and welcome to Abacabo Cafe Podcast. This is the Orange Road Podcast, guys. My name is Jason Alme. I'm going to be hosting it today like I do every day. Today, we're going to be talking about television episode 12, Study Abroad in America. Goodbye, Madoka. Originally aired June 22nd of 1987, it was directed by Nakamura Koichiro, who also directed the less significant episode six, That Kid's My Rival. So Nakamura was responsible for the episode that introduced Yusaku and his deep subconscious love for Kasuga that even he's not really uh, completely aware of yet. This episode was written by... None other than Terada Kenji. Terada has now written episodes 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 10, and this episode, episode 12. That's seven of the first 12 episodes for those of you keeping track at home. You guys can just make another one of those marks, you know, where you do one, two, three, four, then five's the slash across, you know, like the the prisoners in the movies where they're tracking the the years inside or whatever. You guys can just make another mark on your wall. It's another Terada Kenji episode, and we get a little bit of rare at this point, at least in the, in the series. We get this rare episodic continuity where this episode picks up. Not immediately upon the end of the previous episode, but uh, pretty pretty close to that, right? It, the episode picks up with Ayukawa's sister's wedding. And so there's got to be some significance here. Why open with this scene? It's seldom from this point on that any of these episodes are going to refer back to the events of a previous episode. For reasons that I've discussed previously, uh, television series of the 1980s, like pre-internet television series, really didn't have that level of continuity because they wanted to be fair to the people who may have missed the previous episode and not make too many references that a viewer wouldn't understand uh, without having seen the last episode. So again, they've made a a conscious decision to begin with this wedding that was the the tremendous topic of the, the last episode. So Ayukawa catches the bouquet. I mean, I think that's one maybe purpose of starting with that wedding scene. They didn't really get to cram that into the last episode, but right, you want Ayukawa to catch the bouquet. Um, And I asked myself when I was watching this uh, some years ago, does this, the catching of the bouquet, does this have the same significance in Japan as it does for uh, Western countries? And uh, so I went and I did a little bit of digging. I don't want to bore you guys with too much trivia because I don't want to treat this show like I'm just going to Google things that you could easily Google. But um, what I found was that Western-style weddings, this is not a surprise. They've become very popular in Japan over the last several decades. So by 1987, it's not weird at all for Ayukawa's sister to have a a Western-style wedding. Um, Not strange at all. And the bouquet toss is one of the trappings of the Western-style wedding that did uh, make its way over to Japan. Japanese application of the Western wedding. So they do the bouquet toss for the same reason that we do. It's it's meant for um, a single woman to catch it, and the significance is that this will be the next person to get hitched. So maybe it's going to be Ayukuan. But, you know, she doesn't look very happy that she's caught it, though. Even after having caught it, her her face falls. We get this animation of uh, her expression kind of falling and looking somber all of a sudden. Instead of being happy, this is a happy event, her sister's wedding. Um, weddings are a lot of fun for, uh, for most people. Um, you know, there's food, there's beverage, there's sometimes good music, uh, questionable decisions occur at the end of the night. I mean, who's not to love a wedding, right? But Ayukawa does not look like she's having fun. They do that little freeze frame and, and Koska has his voiceover during this moment. and He's noticing, he's picking up on what Ayukawa's laying down. And that's a strength of Koska is that he's always very in tune with Ayukawa's emotion. He may not know what she's thinking because this is Koska we're talking about here, but he at least knows when something's up. He's not... He's uh, he's only partially oblivious, right? He he may not always know what the cause is, but he he can intuit her her uh, emotions and her her moods pretty well. I think the significance that we need to take from this uh, her looking sullen after catching the bouquet and the purpose of this entire sequence being animated and put into this episode is that she already knows, even as she's attending her sister's wedding, she knows that she's bound to leave Japan. She knows that her days here in Japan are numbered, and that's why catching the bouquet makes her kind of sad because um, she's really thinking more about leaving and uh, what, or or I should say whom, she is leaving behind. So uh, in our next scene, Shikaru and Kosuga learn that Ayukawa is moving from the newspaper slash uh, master at Abakabu. They don't learn from Ayukawa herself. Uh, Up to this point, Ayukawa has told no one that she intends to move, that her family is relocating. Uh, Even before now, Casago was unaware that Ayukawa's parents were uh, well-known, world-renowned violinists and that they play in Chicago. So most likely they reside in Chicago or a very nearby suburb. I wonder if it was easier on Ayukawa to have Master tell them or to, to allow them to learn from the newspaper, the speculation in the newspaper. Uh, it may have been a little easier for her than to tell them as we see in this episode she does uh, face a lot of inner turmoil over leaving her friends she does not want to do so they make it very very the filmmakers make it very very clear that she does not want to leave her friends behind in japan and that talking to them about leaving and telling them breaking the bad news is something that she really doesn't want to do so it may have been a little easier for her let's keep in mind she's a teenager after all and as mature as she is this is still kind of hard to tell your dearest friends in life that you're going to be going and moving to an entirely different continent and this is well before the advent of FaceTime or even email Facebook i mean there's really it's very difficult to keep up with people on other continents in the 1980s we got to keep that in mind now Costa having learned this he he now uh, and for the rest of this episode he's going to face this inner turmoil and it's it's all about him losing Ayukawa essentially, and so it's reflected in the in the in the very next scene by these storm clouds that brew overhead. The the storm clouds really seem like I know I mentioned this in the previous episode. They only seem to be drawn into an episode when there's some purpose there, and they're not just making it a rainy day randomly it's meant to reflect Kosuga's turmoil these stormy feelings that he's got and and it's it always has to do with him feeling Ayukawa's absence so the rain starts coming in Kosuga sits down in the rain and we get uh, another just like last week we get another epic insert song this time it's Wada Kanako bringing us Janina classic <laughs> Let's be real. This is the song you want playing when you're sitting on the stairs in the rain and you're just letting it rain on you because you're feeling moat because the person you like is going to move to another continent. What else do you want to be hearing when, it, when it's raining on you? I think it's the. Uh, this, is, this is it. For the next few moments... The story um, becomes kind of a music video style. We're we're hearing Janina play in the background, much as it is right now. We see Ayukawa packing up her saxophone, of all things. She's packing that away. Ayukawa's looking out into the rain. Um, And we get some really good animation here. Uh, You know, the story of this episode, the narrative is relatively simple, right? Ayukawa might be leaving. The gang finds out. And then, really, the the entire episode is about their emotional response to losing this person uh, from their life, and and so it's a relatively simple narrative, but we're really given some kind of striking imagery to go along with it, and we get this music video style um, animation here. Ayuka was looking out into the rain. You know, it's raining. Of course, she's indoors, unlike Costco out there trying to catch a cold. If I hear Cosco sneeze again, I tell you what. But she's looking out into the rain, and we get this extreme close-up of her eyes. But the the camera is positioned on the other side of the window pane, so the window pane is animated between her and the camera, and so we see those big beads of rainwater on the on the. A window pane and they drip down the glass and they look like tears like flowing down her cheeks, right from her eyes. But they're really it's the it's the the rainwater, but it's like a proxy for this this emotion that she's having. And it's really kind of a cool shot where the beads they look like they're falling from her eyes, but they're really it's it's just the rainwater. Now we see Cosga tossing and turning in bed. Maybe he's got the Japanese cold. But regardless, we're cut between Ayukawa and Kasuga, and they're both feeling what appears to be a very, very similar sense of of this emotional loss. Um, both appear to be very upset about her impending mood. Uh, move. Not shown during the sequence is Shikaru. Nothing is shown of Shikaru during this sequence. So we've got no idea what Shikaru is doing she undoubtedly feels very badly about her her best friend her whole life is moving but we don't we don't see her in it the, the the reason for this again is Ayukawa and Kasuga's story i'm going to talk a little bit about that more in this episode i'll mention that again a few more times but it's 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 key that they didn't show shikato it was not important for them to animate what shikato was doing during this sequence it was important to give us information about Ayukawa and Kasuga and, and what they are doing expressions of their uh, emotional turmoil during this episode. Now, we see a, a pan across packed boxes as the camera lands on a box filled with what looks like Ayukawa's childhood toys, uh, including uh, what looks like the stuffed bear that she consulted with in the Disturbing Sea Experience episode. The, the, the camera eventually lands on a doll and the doll's eyes fall shut. And so this is kind of a symbol of of uh, the closing of a few chapters of Ayuko's life. A, it's all of her childhood stuff. It's all of her toys that she's grown out of. She's no longer a child who plays with dolls. She has no use for, for these toys that she's held on to, which nonetheless she's held on to them, surely for sentimental reasons, maybe to pass on to her own child one day. But this is also symbolic of the closing of, of her time in Japan. She's moving out of Japan. She's got all these ba- boxes packed. And this is an important shot because this is going to be a a, a piece of evidence that we're going to discuss at the end of the episode. Now, Kasuke, again, shows genuine concern for Yusaku when he sees how beat up Yusaku looks at school the next day. Uh, this is like evidence that is a good person. He's not petty towards Yusaku. Lord knows the history that those guys have had as big a dick as Yusaku has been to Kosuga over just the last six or so episodes, I'm not that big of a person. Kosuga's a bigger person than I am. I would be petty as shit towards Yusaku. I I I'm big enough to admit that I would be petty. But, you know, there's another way of looking at it. It's possible that Yusaku getting himself beat up is uh, sort of an intentional ploy on his part. Like if he gets roughed up, then maybe he's able to curry a little sympathy from Kosuga. Now he's got Casuga feeling concerned about him. He probably noticed in the um, Shikaru is Dying episode that uh, Casuga does kind of express this genuine concern over him, and he's got this like really empathetic nature to him. And so I think Yusaku knows that at this point, and he's able to curry some of Casuga's sympathy. And uh, so as the audience, we see Yusaku's flashback uh, of him defending Ayukawa's honor and her reputation, but Do we really know that's what happened? We just know that that's what Yusaku told Kasuga happened as he reflected on it, right? But are we familiar with the film Rashomon? This is a Kurosawa film that uh, was decades old by the time this episode was written. And it's a Japanese film too. So it's, again, it's part of the mainstream culture there. And it shows the same event a number of different ways depending on who's relating the story. So could it be that we're seeing... Yusaku's subjective retelling for Koska's benefit. He's putting a spin on it because he wants Koska to respond a certain way to him. I think it's entirely possible that Yusaku told Koska what he wanted Koska to hear because he wants Koska to feel some sympathy for him. It's part of Yusaku's plan, but I think it's somewhat subconscious too. Yusaku only knows that he feels good when Koska expresses this concern. So it's not like an overt manipulation, but he knows he wants Kasuga to feel concerned about him. Yusaku reminds Kasuga here not to get too friendly with Shikaru, but not for the reason that we're led to believe, right? Yusaku doesn't want Kasuga getting too friendly with anyone that's not Yusaku. Now, uh, Kasuga can tell that Ayukawa is in a different headspace at school. He, he mentions in voiceover that he can tell she's a little bit different, right? I mentioned he's pretty good at at intuiting her moods a moment ago, but also Koska's got ESP powers. Is that the best you can do? Dude, come on, right? I mean, you got ESP. You don't got to be an esper to figure out that she's in a different headspace, that she's acting a little bit differently. As Ayukawa is is there at school playing our saxophone. We get animation while she's playing the saxophone. We get this animation of a, a bird flying across the campus. And this could be symbolic of ayukawa leaving the nest this is you know bird taking flight uh, a bird leaving the nest this is ayukawa leaving moving away from town and and indeed even leaving the country of japan to go live on a total other continent but this bird is also a mother bird we see the the this bird with three chicks in its nest so there may be something here about be, being reunited with their parents too there's there's an obvious desire i think for ayukawa to want to be with her family, with her parents, because she's a teenager and this is natural. So there may be something here too about like a family being together and and the importance of that and her her parents kind of leaving the nest. I mean, this could be foreshadowing the end of the story where her parents leave Japan and they, they move. But but Ayukawa remains and stays behind, uh, just like the baby birds in the, in the nest. So this could be foreshadowing that the three are going to remain together. Shikaru, Kasuga, and Ayukawa are going to remain together at the end while the parents relocate. I don't know how often they, they come back to visit, but to me, that's a crazy thing. Like, as a parent now... I didn't think too much of it as a kid. In fact, maybe when I watched this at 14, I was even a little bit jealous. Like, holy shit, I wish my parents would go live on another continent, and I could do whatever the hell I wanted to do. But now, as a parent, I could not imagine... like. I know you're a world-class violinist, but can you find a, like a world-class Japanese opera to play in, or you know, a orchestra to play in? I mean, I don't understand why you got to go to another continent and leave your teenage daughter here on this one. Just as a father, I could never do that to my daughter. There's no way I'm leaving her on another continent. So then we have the scene of this rooftop lunch. So I don't know if, you know, this is something I think um, spearheaded by Shikaru. And she, of course, gets everybody else to go along with it. Kasuga, Yusaku, uh, the twins. Um, and and I am mean, surely it was Shikaru trying to make Ayukawa's final days there as pleasant as possible. And to maybe create one or two last memories but then I think maybe also the idea is like they want to convince Ayukua that they don't know that she's leaving because they're planning a surprise farewell party for her. And she's just leaving in a couple of days. But like Shikato is talking about regular lunches, like doing this from now on. We're going to do this every day from now on. But it's like Ayukua has got something like two days left before she leaves. So you're not going to do this more than maybe one at a time. So part of me thinks that maybe this was like, Baked in as a ploy to just get Ayukoa, throw Ayukoa from the scent, which I think is maybe a little bit unnecessary, but I think it's also kind of a a Last Supper thing. So it's included to remind us that like the gang's all here and they're all able to enjoy this meal together, but it's not for long. We're reminded of that with the three airplanes that fly overhead. We cut away from this lunch to see these three um what probably fighter jets commercial airliners don't fly like this in this formation but so these three jets are flying overhead there's three of them in formation but then one of them uh, veers away right it, it it sort of steers away to the right of the screen and veers off from the other two and this is a very obvious symbolism here in this case for this episode because it's all about Ayukawa veering away from this uh, love triangle that has become central to the plot. And if she leaves, she veers away. We've only got Kasuga and Shikaru left over in Japan, and we can, we can only imagine how that would go. I mean, the really, this whole story would go very, very differently if Ayukawa moved to America in episode 12. We would really have a very, very different outcome, I'm sure. By the way, I spotted Shikaru making lobster. For lunch, for the next lunch, the next day? How many of y'all ate damn lobster for lunch in junior high? Who who made lobster the night before and brought lobster to school? That shit is loco, but that's really how above and beyond she's going. So she's making lobster for them, Deed. That's crazy. At home, Meanwhile, while while Shikaru is making her super fancy seafood lunch for the next day, Kasuka is holding the red straw hat. He's obviously still in this pensive mood thinking about Ayukawa. We also cut to Ayukawa playing her sax, which is something that she does when she's feeling equally pensive and thinking about her own situation. Importantly, she's outdoors as she's playing the sax. She's not in her room we, we see just enough of the background to notice that there is a, a lamppost behind her and there are some trees in the background. So we get just enough information about her surroundings. It's a relatively tight shot of Ayuko playing the sax. So we don't get a really clear establishing shot of where she is, but we get enough information to know intuitively that she's outside. Now, we get a relatively rare sneak peek into her head at this, at this point in time. Uh, most of the time when we're seeing thoughts and uh, when we hear a voiceover, especially, it's always Kasuga. But when we're seeing flashbacks, it's oftentimes information that Kasuga is giving us as a viewer that that he knows. We don't always see what's inside of Ayukawa's head. Very rarely do we see what's going on inside of Ayukawa's head. Uh, a little bit more than that, we see what's going on in Shikaru. In but Ayukawa is meant to be this kind of aloof kind of character who's mercurial we're not supposed to we're supposed to be in the same boat as costco we're supposed to be we're supposed to be rather enchanted by ayuko we're supposed to be uh also unaware of like her true thoughts and feelings because that's what continues this suspense for us so we get a rare flashback uh that's occurring inside her head we get inside her head for, for a rare occasion relatively rare occasion we get the typical echo effect on the dialogue, so we know we're hearing a flashback. Um, Ayuko's sax remains the music bed that plays throughout, and then Master reminds us at this point in time that at its core, this story is Kasuga and Ayuko's story, because he asks Ayuko about Kazuga with regards to her move, and and no one else, only Kasuga. I mean, he might have asked about Shikaru, uh, and 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 how she was feeling about moving in regards to Chicago, but but we're not shown that conversation. So if Master did go there, we don't see it because it's not important. The filmmakers don't want to give us that info. They give us the important info that we need, and that is that Ayukawa is very much thinking about how her relationship with Costco will be affected, squashed by her move to another continent. And so the the camera uh, we cut back to Ayukawa in, in in real time playing the sax and we get this this zoom out, okay? It's a zoom because the camera is moving backwards. It's a pan if the camera moves side to side. So keep that in mind. From a filmmaking technique, a pan is moving sort of across a landscape to show us something. A zoom can go in or out. They're zooming out in this case. The camera moves back away from Ayukoa to reveal more of her surroundings. And we, we, we see that we were right. She's outside, but we see that she's actually at the top of the steps where she met Casuga for the first time. So she's she's not only there mentally re- revisiting this conversation that she had with Master about how Casuga will feel and how she will feel about leaving Casuga behind, but there she is physically as well in this place that's of some significance for her and Casuga, as we will see at the end of this episode. Honestly, this is all we need as viewers to to know that Ayuko is feeling the exact same thing as Koska at this moment we we know that their turmoil's are the same they're running in parallel with this this film language is what tells us this, though, right? It's the montage, which is the cuts between Ayako and Casca sort of expressing the same things, and then also with this uh, this version of mise-en-scene, which is the camera movement. Well, mise-en-scene is the, anything that occurs on set, but it's the, this camera movement that's not an element of montage, but it's another um, technique of, of film production that uh, sort of reveals to us this information that, that doesn't tell us anything in... A blunt language. They don't need to spell it out for us, but by showing us certain things in a certain sequence and assembling these parts in a meaningful way, they communicate to us the idea that is is blatantly obvious to all of us at this point in time is that Ayukawa feels the same way Kasuga does about moving out of the country. Next, we get a subtle reminder here that these poor bastards have to go to school on Saturday. This is one of them things like Yeah, Japan is awesome, okay? But have you considered Ayukua for a moment that when you move to America and you're in high school there in America, you're gonna have Saturdays off too? You're gonna have Saturday and Sunday off. I really think that they did not pay enough attention to that particular benefit of relocating to America. And she might have kissed Kasuga's ass goodbye if she knew she was gonna get to sleep in on Saturday and Sunday. That's two nights you can go to the disco, lady. That's Friday night and Saturday night, you can go party at the Chicago discos. Not that I'm really sure I'd want to do that in, in modern times. Maybe they were a little bit better in the '80s, but I think I'd I'd feel a little safer in a Japanese disco than hanging out in um, one of these bars in Chicago at this point in time. But we get this um, establishing shot of Abakabu. It's this exterior shot of Abakabu. It tells us where the next scene is going to be taking place. That's why it's called an establishing shot. And this is the night of. Ayukawa's uh, surprise farewell party. And we see this helicopter flying by, right? We get a, a shot of the helicopter, but then we see the sh- helicopter's shadow passing over the roof of Abakabu during our establishing shot. And this is probably just a traffic chopper, right? This is just a, a helicopter used to to um, look at traffic and, and and keep radio stations updated and stuff like that. But then they also have this red siren that goes by a moment later. And it really it like makes me think there's like some escape felon on the run or something like it's not it doesn't become important later like they don't cross over with uh, the fugitive or something like that but it makes me feel like u.s marshals should be like beating down the door and like seeing if he's hiding in Abakabu or something it's it seems silly but i think the the purpose of the helicopter is that the sound is meant to be jarring the siren doubly so it, it's jarring and then also because it goes by uh, so closely to Abakabu, it fills the interior of abacabu with the the lights from the the siren And so it's jarring, and it's it's supposed to reinforce the idea that there's something wrong right now. Perhaps Ayukawa isn't there because of an altercation with those delinquents that that Yusaku uh, got beat up by earlier, fought with earlier, and that's even something that uh, that Yusaku might float by. So that's perhaps uh, Ayukawa has been waylaid by some fight with these pongs and maybe that's the ambulance rushing to the hospital everyone has these looks of concern and they go out searching for Ayukua. Well, we got to find Ayuko, and we get another really lovely piece of music for that too here it is this song if you want to find it if you want to search the internet for it it's called reminiscence dot 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 of you in the red straw hat remember the dots guys Reminiscence of you in the red straw hat. Great track. Uh, this is not an insert song, it's another piece of background music, but it gets a lot of prominence in this episode. It's very moving. And this plays as Kasuga, Shikaru, and Yusaku are seen searching for Ayukawa. This this little piece here, this little introductory piece before it, before it really hits its um, rousing bit. Now, the city is depicted here as jam-packed with bustling streets. There's people everywhere. And they're all rather um, nameless, faceless. They're all kind of these gray sort of silhouettes of people with limited details it impresses upon us the futility of the gang's search they're looking for a needle in a haystack with Ayukawa among these throngs of people, but it's also this meaningly meaningless place filled with people that also lack meaning to this narrative, they're not important to us here it triggers Kasuga's realization that Ayukawa must be somewhere else this is the best part of the song And he was right. Ayukawa is actually waiting at Kasuga's place to tell that tells you that she wanted to talk to him without anybody else around. She wanted to have a private conversation with Kasuga. And she must have known that she was expected at Abakabu. And it was still a surprise party thing. She didn't know it was going to be a big farewell party, but somebody had to have been luring her there to Abakabu. And she instead went to Kasuga's apartment. Now, her watch says Asia on it. She checks her watch at one point. And this is... This is not supposed to be like a Captain Obvious thing. Like, yes, Japan is in Asia, and this story is occurring in Japan. Uh, let me write that down for future reference. No, this is actually a reference to Orient Watch, which is a Japanese watch brand. Um, they were very much active in the 80s, and they're still active today. You can buy an Orient Watch uh, even now as you're listening to this. And the watch faces say Orient right there where it would say Asia. So I think the Asia is a reference to Orient Watches. So if you were wondering what kind of watch Ayukawa and probably Kasuga and Shikaru might wear. They wear Orient watches, guys. Go order an Orient watch. This episode has been sponsored by Orient Watches. So, Ayukua's solitary walk from Koska's doorstep to the top of the 100 steps contrasts the search that you, Yusaku and Shikaru are currently on right now and forces Ayukua to whisper her goodbyes to the night as she looks down on this city that she's leaving from this perfect vantage point. This is just a great song. I love this one. It's one of my favorites. And this is where Casica finds her. He was right. He was right about her going somewhere that was more meaningful to her and to him. And they finally have their talk that they needed to have this whole episode. They speak about Kosuga's love for the new town, and uh, they they contrast the um, the life in America versus this hometown Japan that they live in, and this becomes a, a metaphor for Kosuga's recurring conflict writ large. Ayukawa lists these chic, world-renowned American cities: New York, L.A., Beverly Hills—all these glamorous places that await her these places are like Ayukua's private life away from Kasuga and and this seemingly unattainable level of maturity and class. I mean, Kasuga couldn't touch Beverly Hills, but this is a place that Ayukua could potentially be spending her time. I mean, this is, the, the thought in Kasuga's head is that like, she's Beverly Hills worthy. She's New York worthy. He's so far behind her again, like with his level of maturity. This unremarkable hometown of theirs that's like any other, it's not New York, it's not even the New York of, of Japan. It's just this normalness that's that's Kasuga. I mean, that's that's a metaphor for Kasuga, and his, he's he's not spectacular in the way that Ayuka was spectacular there might be spectacular things about him I and mean, she doesn't know that he's an S where he can move shit with his mind. I mean, that's kind of remarkable, but nonetheless, this contrast between the stylish life in America's most iconic cities versus the status quo in their kind of vanilla hometown is this grand scale version of Casca's fear that Ayuko is beyond him in terms of life experience and maturity and that he's just a little kid in comparison to her. There's a reason he's defending the town. There's a reason why he's saying lovely things about the town. Rather than just focusing his, the content of his speech on how much he's going to miss her and the geographic distance between them being an impediment to a future relationship, I mean, there's something about her leaving that's, we're going to be far away. And then there's something about her leaving that's like you're leaving this, this life behind because you want this other thing that's not Casago. Uh, it really does become a metaphor for like this whole, like this all the way up till now, these, this first 12 episodes, this conflict that he's felt and it's expressed itself in the Spark Colored Kiss episode and a few others that, uh, you know, he's just a kid. And, and I do want to interrupt this episode with a quick question for my dear listeners. And you are my dears. I love you very much if you're listening to this. I want to ask you, Who among you remembers the epic British soft rock duo known as Air Supply? This is a podcast, after all, for people who love 80s retro foreign entertainment. Well, in 1982, they released this little number. You might have heard it before. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. This is called Even the Nights Are Better. It was released mid-1982. You may not recognize it now, especially the younger, the younger listeners out there may not recognize the song just yet. But I'm sure when we hit the hook in the chorus, you're going to recognize it. You're going to think I've heard that song. My grandma played that on vinyl, or maybe my mom played that on vinyl in 1982. Here we go. Here's where you recognize it recognize that? that I know you do. Together, even the are since you. Oh. It's taking all of my willpower, all of the the restraint that I possess to not begin singing along with that. But y'all don't want to hear that. I'm telling you right now. You don't want to hear that. But even the nights are better, right? We've all heard that song. What does that song sound like to you guys? Let's just go forward a little bit here. Ooh. That sounds familiar. Sounds like something I just heard. Like 10 seconds ago. And I almost want to start singing. Even the nights are better right now. That's crazy. So I think what I want to impress upon everyone is that the composer for the uh, Orange Road television series, uh, Sagi Shiro, this is our composer for all of the background music. He's responsible for the really the sonic qualities of Orange Road. So this is a person whose creative contributions cannot be understated to this television, uh, program, but I think it can also be said that the man was a fan of air supply. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's wonderful. Him and my mom were both listening to air supply on vinyl in 1982 and I love them for that, but it's, it's very obvious that, uh, the, the reminiscence of you in the red straw hat has a, uh, a resemblance more than a resemblance. I think it's about as close as you can get to even the nights are better without getting your butt sued by air supply. That's a fun fact about that particular song and good luck, not yelling. Even the nights are better. When you hear this part of the episode, henceforth, even the nights are better when you are wearing a fuzzy sweater, even the nights are better smothered and melted cheddar, right? That only makes sense. Now, Ayukuwa's revelation that comes next, that she never planned to move to America, that everyone was silly for thinking that. She was playing a prank on everyone. It's intercut with uh, an airplane in bright daylight, so we know that this is not happening concurrently. We see this airplane taxiing and then eventually taking off, and it's cut back and forth, and it becomes this this bridge to the next day. I guess they're there at the airport to see um, Ayukua's parents off and say their farewells at the airport to them. We really, we never see what became of Yusaku or Shikaru the night before on their search, right? We got all the pertinent information that we needed with Ayukawa and Kasuga's conversation there uh, at the top of the stairs. And in this very ending voiceover, Kasuga asks the key question. Was Ayukawa telling the truth? Was she being honest about not ever having planned to move to America. She was always playing a prank on them, and she was just pulling their legs, and she just wanted to see how freaked out she could make them for days on end uh, and just let them marinate in their own worry, concern, and grief. Ultimately, we'll never know for real if she was Joshin or not, but I tend to agree with much of what I've read online that speculates that Casica actually convinced her to stay during their conversation there on that swing set near the top of the 100 steps. Now, as in the previous episode, the swing set acts as a symbol of childhood, of youth. We swing on swings when we're kids, right? Adults don't swing on swings. I mean, I do sometimes, but only when I'm taking my 24-month-old to a park. I'm not just, adults don't just go to parks by themselves. You don't see like a 30-year-old on a swing by themselves, that would be ludicrous. You'd call the cops. Unlike the last episode, though, Ayukawa is sitting there on the swings with Kasuka. She's on his page for once. She doesn't want to leave him behind, literally leaving him behind in Japan, or in terms of, um, more metaphorically, her mature, private other life. This is not something that she wants to choose over her relationship with Kasuka. She's there on the swings with him. She's saying that she's very much um, committed to experiencing this This piece of their youth together and that she's not going to leave him behind and and that's the symbolism of that conversation taking place on swings it's important to bring in this this visual metaphor for their youth and their phase in life and there is some evidence that ayukua was not telling the truth that she did originally plan to leave japan she already packed her shit Nobody's going to pack their shit for a prank. You're not going to pack everything you own into boxes and seal it all up. If you've ever moved, you know how much work that is. You don't want to pack your shit up for a prank. Who are you pranking at that point? When you're packing up everything you own, they're not even going to know you packed your stuff. They're not even in your house. That's not even part of the prank. So, The fact of the matter is, we, as I mentioned earlier, quite clearly see the camera pin across a big stack of Ayukawa's boxes before it lands on her childhood toys. We know for a fact Ayukawa had all her shit packed up. She was getting ready to leave. That's the evidence that the conversation with Kasuga is what turned her. And, you know... On top of the fact that we get all those shots of her playing the saxophone, looking all mopey, no one's even around. Who's she acting for? None of the characters are around for her to fool. So at the end of the day, she claims it was a fugazi, but it's more evidence of Ayuko being whimsical. It's Kimagureo and Drode, after all, guys. Ayukawa's allowed to change her mind like that and then lie about it. I want to thank everybody for listening today. This is just an incredible episode. We got some incredible music. We really get a a wonderful moment for Koska and Ayukawa's relationship there. And we really get to see how important they are to each other, even at this early stage. Uh, So thank you guys again for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Please leave us a rating and review if you're using a, a podcast app that allows for that. I would so appreciate that. It's very helpful to us. Um, Also, if you want to listen to more podcasts, I got them. Shit happens when you party naked. Team Almy Patreon. If you become a subscriber, you will get uh, access to our exclusive Patreon podcast. I moved it off the regular internet, guys, just offending too many people in real life. It's a comedy podcast that is unrelated to anime. Uh, it is unrelated to Orange Road, but it is related to me saying, wild wow shit on the internet. So if you're in search of entertainment, patreon.com slash team you'll get access to the full archive of Shit Happens When You Party Naked episodes. You'll get access to all future episodes. You will get access to all of our future Orange Road Patreon content, content that will be coming soon. We've got some bonus episode commentaries that will listen along as you watch the episode. So commentary tracks that go along with each episode of Orange Road because I just can't stop watching Orange Road and recording myself talking about it for some reason. I'm not feeling like getting rained on. So that's no to Janina. So I'm going to leave you guys with reminiscence of you in a red straw hat. Enjoy. See you next week.